This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to the MLB Pipeline Podcast with your host, Ed Randall. Hi, everybody. I'm Ed Randall, and welcome to the MLB.com Pipeline Podcast. I'm joined by our draft and minor league experts, Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. The general manager's meetings were held in Boca Raton, and voila, big trades materialized. The Braves traded their magician shortstop, Andrelton Simmons, to the Angels in a five-player deal that included Eric Ibar and two stud pitchers. And the Red Sox went to their bountiful farm system, giving four players to San Diego for closer Craig Kimbrell. Uh, a lot of people, Jim, shocked about the trade of Simmons. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised. Not not surprised from the standpoint of the Braves have been going out and trying to get pitching ever since John Hart and John Coppolella were have been running things for a little bit more than a year in Atlanta. So I wasn't surprised they went out and they got Sean Newcomb and and Chris Ellis. Well, what surprised me about that trade, though, is obviously the, the, the Braves have been making trades with an eye on the future and they're not going to contend in, in the near term, and all that makes sense. But Simmons had a very affordable contract. He was signed for five more years. To me, he was part of the solution, the long-term solution in Atlanta. So from that standpoint, I, I was kind of surprised that they traded him. I, I took it as a sign that the Braves have a lot of faith in Ozzie Albies, a young shortstop prospect who's, who's a year or two away. Um, but, but I was surprised. I, I don't know how you felt, Jonathan, but I, I was surprised that they, they would give up Andrelton Simmons because I thought he was one of the few building blocks they currently had on the Major League team. Yeah, I, I generally would agree with your description of that trade. It's not so much that the Braves are, are rebuilding. Uh, it was you know, a little bit of surprise given, as you, you pointed out, Simmons' age, uh, not to mention his contract, that that he wouldn't be one of the building blocks that they would want to hold on to. Um, I think on top of that, okay, if you're going to trade an Angleton Simmons, um, not that I don't think Sean Newcomb has a chance to be really, really good, um, but I would have thought that maybe there would have been a partner out there where they could have gotten more. Now, maybe they flip Eric Ibar and bring in more prospects. Uh, we'll, see, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, you know, but you know, Newcomb and... Ellis, for a guy of Simmons' age, ability, and contract status, you know, I, I think that maybe they could have done a little bit better. Uh, guys to the Boston trade, uh, Craig Kimbrell, uh, who was the apple of Brian Cashman's eye uh, during the summer, now goes to the arch-rival Boston Red Sox. Jim, what about that with the four guys going from Boston over to San Diego? Yeah, I thought that trade kind of fit in the same category as I understood what both teams were trying to do, but I, but I also found it a little curious. I mean, they gave up two top 100 prospects, an outfielder, Manuel Margot, 
and uh, shortstop Javier Guerra. And on one hand, you know, okay, those guys are a little bit redundant in Boston. Boston already has a crowded big league outfield. They have first-round pick from this year's draft, Andrew Benintendi, coming up behind Margot. So you, you could see where, okay, Margot was expendable. The same thing with Guerra, although he's you know, a very good defender, very interesting. He hit 15 home runs in low-class A this year, more power than people thought he had. You've got Xander Bogart, who just won a silver slugger, I think, at age 21 in the big league. So maybe he was going to be blocked, too. But, but that said... I was surprised that they packaged those two guys as well as Carlos Suahe and, and Logan Allen, who's a, a lefty who was just drafted this year who could be pretty interesting down the road. If you told me the Red Sox made a trade with that package of players, again, like if you told me the Braves were going to go out and acquire pitching, I would have said, okay, yeah, I, I could definitely see that. that. That kind of package makes sense. I just thought you would have gone out and gotten some kind of starting pitcher rather than a reliever. You know, granted, you know, Craig Kimbrell has been very, very good. After a slow start last year, he looked more like his old dominant self, best closer in baseball in the second half of the season. But, you know, I'll be very curious, depending on what Boston can do for a starting pitcher, and maybe, you know, I'm sure they did try to explore the market. sounds like they did from Dave Jabrowski's comments, and they just don't feel that kind of trade's out there. But I was kind of surprised that they used that package to go get a relief pitcher. Yeah, I think you can kind of look at it two ways. Um, and... Uh, you know, Jim and I talked about this when the when the when the trade happened, uh, because of some of the, the you know the personnel roadblocks in Boston. Sure, the Red Sox could afford to trade two top 100 guys uh, because they have young players in the outfield and, and obviously a, a, a burgeoning superstar in Xander Bogart that's shortstop. So you know, Manuel Margot and eventually Javier Guerra, their their paths were going to be blocked in all likelihood. Um, that said, to give up four guys uh, you know, who are legitimate prospects, all four of whom are now in the Padres' top 20, uh, for a closer, I, I, don't, you know, I don't necessarily get that. You know, I, I'm definitely in the camp of you, know, you can find closers uh, on the cheap more. Uh, so I, you know, if, I think this could work for both teams. The Red Sox are hoping to sort of flip the switch and, and get back to being competitive. Uh, especially with the way they played at the end of the year. And, and adding Kimbrell not only gives them a closer, but it makes that, that bullpen pretty nasty from the seventh inning on. So I, I, I see it. But if I were to sort of declare a winner, quote-unquote, I'd probably give the edge to A.J. Preller and the Padres uh, just to get that hall of prospects when they really needed both quantity and quality. And not to mention shedding a lot of payroll, um, you know, getting rid of Kimball's salary uh, that allows him to maybe be a little more flexible, more creative moving forward. Uh, would you say, Jonathan, that the Padres did better in that deal uh, than the Braves did with Simmons? Yeah, I, you know, first first glance, yes. And obviously, we have to see what happens. You know, if, if Sean Newcomb ends up being you know John Lester or you know a similar kind of top of the rotation workhorse lefty then you know then it evens out a little bit more and let's see what happens if they turn around and trade eric ibar for for more pieces but yeah if you're asking me to gut gut instinct says yeah the padres did better in trading kimbrell uh than the braves did in trading simmons also at the general manager's meetings the yankees sent catcher john ryan murphy to minnesota for switch hitting outfielder aaron hicks who may have been rushed to the major leagues a couple years ago. This trade may have big implications for the best player in the 2015 Arizona Fall League, Yankee catcher Gary Sanchez, Jim. 
No, you're right. I mean, it actually has two interesting prospect implications beyond the, uh, the immediate trade itself. One, I think it opens up uh, greater playing time for the number one prospect in baseball in the MLB Pipeline Top 100 in Byron Buxton. Uh, he's less blocked. The Twins had a number of outfield options, and, and now it seems more apparent, or at least there's more of an opportunity for Buxton to, to be in the opening day starting lineup. And then from the Yankees' perspective, you know, I've spent close to you know three weeks in Arizona Fall League, and, and Gary Sanchez has been the best player in the league from start to finish, leading the league in home runs, uh, doing a tremendous job, uh, throwing out base stealers behind the plate, and, and looking very good. And at the beginning of my the my three weeks in Arizona Fall League, uh, we were doing some broadcast, and we were talking about how as talented as he was and as good a fall as Sanchez was, he was somewhat blocked in New York, and that's not the case anymore. And now I think there's a path for Gary Sanchez to be the backup to Brian McCann and also maybe get some at-bats at DH and possibly first base. Um, and I think his power is going to play extremely well in Yankee Stadium. Yeah, I think that's a good call about uh, you know, the, the change of the Yankees. You know, people are looking more at, uh, at that Twins outfield. Um, uh, I'm wondering if the, if the Hicks acquisition blocks Aaron Judge's path to the big leagues uh, at all in New York, but it definitely opens things up for Byron Bucks, and I think uh, it's going to be his job uh, to lose. Uh, I would imagine he goes into spring training as the guy who's going to be their starting center fielder, uh, and let's see what happens. And you know, Jim and I have been together in our sort of steadfast belief that he is still the best prospect in baseball. Uh, you know, we, we, we've gotten some, some ridicule for it, and, and that's really okay. I, I don't really mind that. Because push comes to shove, he still has the best tools uh, of, of any prospect in baseball, and he is still officially a prospect and a Rookie of the Year candidate for next year uh, as, as a result. And I, I think that he'll start to figure things out, assuming that he can stay healthy and stay on the field, I think, uh, 2016, he'll start to, to put things together, uh, and that trade will will make sense because Aaron Hicks can do some certain things, uh, but there isn't any question as to who eventually long-term is going to be a better big league center fielder. And uh, back to the Yankees, it seems like uh, every single offseason, the Yankees are moving a, uh, a catcher or bringing in a catcher from the major minor league level. And Brian Cashman, the general manager, believes and was quoted recently as saying he thinks Gary Sanchez may be ready to play in the major leagues come, in, come 2016. We're happy to welcome from the Arizona Fall League and your Glendale Desert Dogs center fielder Adam Engel of the Chicago White Sox. Adam was selected in the 19th round of the draft two years ago out of Louisville. Adam, thanks so much for taking time to uh, be with all of us. Uh, we know so much about the uh, perennial power that is Louisville basketball. Tell us a little bit about the baseball program there. Um, well, the baseball program there has had, um, you know, Ever since um, Dan McDonald's come aboard, um, I don't know too much about the program before he's been there, but ever since he's been there, you know, he's hired some uh, great guys to surround him. And, um, you know, they just go about their business the right way, and they're really big into developing people and not only baseball players. And I think that that, um, you know, that draws people to their program, and um, they've been able to develop those guys. So it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of uh, fun to go there and uh, play for those guys. Adam, Jim Callis here, and I've been out in Arizona Fall League a couple times already and been out there about three weeks, and it seems like every time I see you play, you, you get a couple hits, and last I checked, I think you're still leading the league in hitting and on base percentage and doubles and second in steals. 
you know, it's not the longest sample size. I think you've played 18 or so games, but, but what is going well for you in the Arizona Fall League? Have you made any adjustments, or what do you attribute your, your, your outstanding performance to this fall? Um, I've definitely made a couple adjustments out here. Um, nothing too crazy, but, um, you know, just my approach has been a little bit more consistent, and um, I found something that's really helped me, you know, do, do a consistent, like, um, pregame work before and, um, you know, just getting the same feel every day going into the games, and it's helped me lock into the same approach. You know, if your swing feels the same every day, it really helps you focus on an approach rather than a mechanical thought, you know, when you're at the plate. So um, a couple of smaller adjustments, but I think they're really helping out. Adam, it's uh, Jonathan Mayo. Uh, you know, you, you spent the year in the Carolina League, and obviously the Arizona Fall League is, is often used as a stepping stone. What, what do you think you've been able to take away, success or no, just from what you've seen, the competition you faced in the Fall League, that's going to help get you ready for, for the upper levels of the White Sox system next year? I think the biggest thing is confidence. Um, you know, I've never played above high A before. Um, so coming into this league, everybody talked about all the talent and, um, you know, the, the quality arms that you face in a league like this. And, you know, you don't really know what to expect, especially coming from high A. And, um, you know, I get up here and, and you definitely see a difference. But, um, you know, I was talking to some friends or and some family back home and they're like, what's the difference? I was like, well, you know, they're obviously better with location and their stuff's like more consistent, but, you know, they're not throwing invisible baseballs up here. So um, <laughs> it's, it's definitely been a confidence booster just seeing what, you know, the top prospects have stuff-wise and, and knowing that I have what it takes to compete against those guys. So um, confidence is definitely something I'll be able to take away from this league. It seems like your plate discipline has spiked too, Adam. Uh, I want to say during the regular season, uh, you, you did draw a healthy amount of walks, but you still struck out you know, roughly twice as much as you walked. And I, I've, I've seen you, I don't know how many of your, your 16 walks and 18 games I've seen in the folly personally, but it seems like a lot of them. But, but you've almost reversed that ratio. You, you've walked a lot more than you struck out. You know, even though, you, as you said, you're facing better pitchers who are around the plate more and have better stuff, what do you think's clicked with your approach? It, it just seems like you, you've turned a corner in that regard. You know, I think that um, in the past I've gotten into a habit of being a little over-aggressive, especially in advantage counts. Um, and, you know, you know, more of a, um apt to want to chase, you know. And so out here I've been just trying to stick to, to an approach where, you know, make sure I get a really good pitch to hit. And if it's a pitcher's pitch, I'll take it. And obviously that's helped me, you know, take pitches that are out of the zone or borderline pitches that maybe before I would – either swing and miss that or, like, make a week out. So um, I've been just trying to really get the ball over the plate more out here, and I think it's helping me to, you know, even if the, the, the pitch isn't right over the plate, it's easier to hit when you're looking for one that's over the plate, if that makes sense. Um, so more so just this pitch selection has probably been the biggest thing in my approach that I've changed out here. Adam, how much is, is that important uh, for you uh, in terms of you know, your skill set, uh, I, I know you have extra base pop. You've, sh- you've shown some of it, but obviously your speed is is, is pr- you know, probably your your best tool. Uh, the ability to be more selective, get on base more than you had. Uh, how, how much have you learned? You know, even if it's just in the stint in Arizona, where you understand that, boy, if I can really Im- continue to Im- build on what I'm doing here, then that gives me an opportunity to 
to wreak even more havoc on the on the base paths. And I, I know this is with the caveat knowing that you stole 65 bases last year. So I don't know what the feeling is in terms of the number of steals, but just in terms of what your job ultimately might be at the big league level. Right. You know, I've always um, understood that my role is to get on base. Um, it was just a matter of learning how to do that at the, you know, the highest rate possible. And, um, you know, like I said, just being able to, to help the guys behind me, you know, in any way that I can, I, that's kind of how I feel what my role is. And um, before, you know, obviously as you go up levels, there's less freebies, there's less, you know, easy ways to get on base. You've got to kind of learn how to get yourself on base instead of, you know, uh, take advantage of a guy that might be struggling on the mound that day, you know. So um, I definitely know that that's what my role is, and hopefully I can uh, continue to develop, you know, my approach and, and like I said, get myself on base instead of, you know, relying on the pitcher to, to um, walk me or something like that. But um, really just trying to have quality at bats. You know, if I can up my quality at bats in a way that, um, you know, a leadoff position or a leadoff hitter is supposed to, I think that will definitely help me moving forward. Adam, there's always a lot of talent in the Arizona Fall League. I, I was just curious, who has stood out to you? You, either from a hitting standpoint or a pitching standpoint, you know, and it could be somebody on your team or somebody you, you've seen, but which Arizona Fall League players have impressed you in the five or so weeks you've been out there? Um, I mean, I would hate to, to say nobody, not from the standpoint of um, not everybody or nobody stand out just as much as everybody's that good, you know. Um, everybody kind of has their own thing, or some guys, I guess, do multiple things better, but... Um, you know, playing in the All-Star game was a great experience, and you got to, you know, play with the guys that are, are playing well out here and have the talent. So um, I think that everybody kind of does something special. You know, it's kind of hard to say one guy or another. So, um, I mean, it, I think that uh, Gary Sanchez was, you know, watching him take, take DP before the All-Star game was fun, and, um, you know, playing against him, he's, he's turned around. Um, you know, some pretty fast fastballs against us. So, um, you know, you're just trying to compete every day and win, but um, you definitely notice that everybody's got a lot of talent out here. Adam, we're so happy to have you with us. We wish you continued success for the remainder of the Arizona Fall League season and for many, many years beyond, and thank you so much for your time. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Adam, yeah, thanks, Adam. Adam Engel for us, the uh, center fielder uh, from the Chicago White Sox, drafted uh, two years ago. Also in Boca Raton, Minnesota dealt backup catcher Chris Herman to Arizona for outfielder first baseman Daniel Palka, who has struck 51 home runs the past two seasons. It's odd, guys, when an Arizona Fall League player like Palka is traded in midseason. It's like he needs a new uniform, Jonathan. Yeah, and he did. Uh, he wasn't allowed to, to play, uh, Jim, right? Do I have that right? He wasn't, he wasn't allowed to play until he had uh, his New Jersey. Yeah, that um, is correct. And when I first heard that, I, I thought, the, the, when I heard discussion that, I thought it was kind of a joke, like, like somebody was just making kind of a lighthearted remark. But, no, it's, uh, <laughs> he, could, he, he had to sit out two games for Salt River until he got a Twins jersey. They didn't have him switch teams, which they sometimes do. I think when Trevor Williams was traded from the – Marlins to the Pirates earlier in the year. I believe he switched teams, although I might be wrong on that. And then we mentioned the Red Sox trade. Carlos Asuaje went from the Red Sox to the Padres, and he's out in the fall league. But at least the Padres have an Arizona base. The Twins are based in Florida, so it took a couple days to get Paulka an actual uniform. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I remember, and I, I, I'm not 100% sure my memory is serving me right, but a few years ago when um, Danny Farquhar was pitching in the fall, he got traded, and I want to say it was like a day or two before the championship game. And he was in, he was in uniform. I don't remember if he pitched, and I think they just let him keep his old jersey on. And I think it was they, they had to make sort of special dispensation just because it was a championship game, and they didn't think it was fair to keep him from suiting up, uh, but they couldn't get a jersey to him on, on time. But, yeah, it's a, it does make things a, a little bit interesting. You know, it's, uh, it's hard enough to make your way up to the big leagues and find your way in the fall league, but then all of a sudden, uh, especially when you're, you're in the Diamondbacks organization and you're playing in your own spring training home park, you feel really comfortable, uh, then all of a sudden, boom, nope, now you're with another organization. Uh, nobody's followed the AFL through the years closer than you two guys. Uh, has it happened many times where guys playing in the league through the years have been traded, Jim? I don't know the number, but I remember when I was out there last year that, that Nate Sappington got traded from the Angels to the Rays. So it, it does. I mean, you, know, you, you have the GM meetings are usually going on during the fall league. I mean, there, there aren't going to be generally trades until the, the World Series ends, but you do have a couple-week window, and, and usually you have a couple teams trying to you know, maybe get a jump on the winter meetings and start to reshape their team for the upcoming season. So it's certainly not uncommon. No, and I think uh, I mean, if it happens once a fall, maybe, if you average it out, uh, I don't know it's been too often that we've had more than one guy. And I think, you know, Jim is right, the combination of the GM meetings – and listen, these guys are out playing and they're being scouted. Uh, so when you start talking about guys in a system, you know you can say, "Hey, you know, go go watch this guy. Let's put eyes on him before we decide to pull the trigger." And if you're a team trying to trade prospects, you can be, "Well, you know, Daniel Palka, he's out playing. He's swinging the bat in the fall league. Look at what he did during the year. Uh, maybe that's a good fit." You know, so uh, sometimes I think the, the the relevance factor comes into play. And, and how great it is to have an Arizona Fall League where you can go put eyes on a player. Uh, let's, let's talk about the Arizona Fall League. Since our uh, last show, uh, there was a force out at the plate, uh, but if you were scoring at home, the play went 9-2 to two with a ball that dropped in front of the right fielder. And then uh, Jerickson Profar hit what appeared to be a double, but there was a question as to whether or not he touched first base. And on the appeal play, the pitcher threw the ball into the first base camera well. I've never heard of that. Uh, these are plays, guys, you don't see every day. What's the latest Jim had at the AFL? Yeah, I was actually broadcasting that game, and, and Joe McGrain and Paul Severino and I were kind of scratching our heads. But we're, we're winding down. The, the season will end on Saturday with a, with a one-game playoff for the championship. It'll be broadcast live at, at 3 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday. Uh, the Surprise Saguaros have wrapped up the West Division. Uh, they're 17-10. and 10. They have a three-and-a-half game lead with three to play. And right now the, the Salt River Rafters, who should have probably won that game in the ninth, except you know the, the 9-2 force out you were talking about. It was just a bad read and a bad base running play by, by Rymel Tapia of the Rockies, and then they wound up losing on the, the appeal play that got thrown into the camera well. Um, 
they are a game and a half back with three to play. They actually got rained out last night, although in the grand scheme of things, the rain out doesn't really cost them because they had, they're at the tiebreaker disadvantage anyway. But right now, the Scottsdale Scorpions, uh, their magic number is two, despite a four-game losing streak for Scottsdale. If Scottsdale can win two of their last three or, or you know, any combination of two Scorpions wins and Raptors losses over the next three days, and then we will have a, a Scottsdale surprise championship game on Saturday. And, uh, Jonathan, uh, compare, if you will, uh, the play in the Arizona Fall League uh, in 2015 to uh, recent seasons. Um, you know, it's funny because, you know, on paper it, it didn't seem like it was quite on the same level. You know, there weren't as many top 100 players. Um, you know, the time that I was out there, though, uh, you know, I thought the play was very good. Uh, the pitching didn't appear on paper that it was going to be all that strong. Um, that sometimes happens in the folly, but there were a lot of guys out there throwing really, really hard, and that kind of made it uh, a little more exciting. Several guys topping triple digits. So, you know, maybe it was down a tiny shade, but I think overall it, it, it was comparable. And, you know, every year guys, uh, you know, nobody who's in the fall league is completely coming out of nowhere for obvious reasons, but they're not necessarily on the prospect radar map. And, and every year, uh, there are guys who kind of put themselves more firmly on the map with how they perform. And, and that's happened this year like it has every other year. Uh, heavy news week for uh, all of us. Uh, my great thanks to uh, both of you guys. That'll do it for us. On behalf of Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I'm Ed Randall. Thanks so much for listening to the MLB.com Pipeline Podcast. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.